I wear multiple hats at our nonprofit, and one of my hats is in grants. When a funder asks for our annual budget with no room to attach it and just a fillable line to fill in, what number do I include? Projected revenue or projected expenses? This is straightforward when it's a break-even budget, but how do I handle this when our budget isn't break-even? I have been given different direction from two people in our organization and am hoping for some clarity. I'm sorry that the people in your organization are confusing you. That's not good because the answer is really simple. <laughs> it's like, like the, the answer is going to be way less long than the question was. And the answer <laughs> is when, when someone asks for a budget number, they're looking for the expenses. And they're, they're specifically looking for non-capitalized expenses too, which is just like how much money, how much cash you're going to spend um, for the next 12 months. <laughs> and so, so it doesn't matter if you're not going to break even. It doesn't matter if you've got zero revenue coming in or lots of revenue coming in because they're not asking you that question on that line. They're just saying, what's your budget? You say, well, our budget is $4,368,212.56. And that's all they need to know. Um, so Yeah. Go ahead and play the podcast back to them. When th that other person that told you something different probably needs to write in some questions too, because we can yeah, straighten yeah. some stuff out for her too. Yeah. And there is nothing worse. You're right, Andy. There's nothing worse when you are that person going, oh, yikes, like what? I thought this one thing, but someone's telling me different or these two people in the organization are telling me something different. So, uh, and you know, it's funny how that stuff though, I just want to make a comment. Like how many times do we see that happen in nonprofits though, where, right? Where someone maybe doesn't have the qualification to answer something or doesn't know the answer, but they're too scared to say, I'm not sure. Like, and it, it, so instead they make up this thing. <laughs> don't make things up. <laughs> yeah. Don't make things up. <laughs> Unless you have a podcast, then you can make whatever you want up. Right. No <laughs> um, and just as a side note, you know, just to make a short answer really long um, funders, what are you asking for? Like if you've just got a single line and you can't attach anything and you just want to know your total annual budget, like what are you sorting people? Like, what is this? <laughs> What, what are you going to use that information for? Because as the funder is, or as the, uh, the question asker is implying, like you need more in detail to know if that number makes any sense at all. So why aren't you asking for that detail or allowing somebody to attach something, right? Yeah, my snarky self, when I when I read this question, my snarky self wanted to just be like, call up the funder and ask them 100 questions because they probably don't understand why they're asking the question either. But but I mean, because, right, it's, yeah, it's like, what does this one figure tell you unless you're like, we are only going to fund organizations up to this budget size or whatever. But I don't know, it just feels weird. And then it's, you're taking it at face value if there's no attachment. Anyway, it's just weird. It's just plain, downright weird. And we we see that sometimes. I think funders sometimes, especially those who haven't worked in the nonprofit sector, sometimes make up these, um, you know, they have forms or part of their application process that makes no sense. So note to any funders listening, like, do yourself a favor, actually have someone who's in the sector, people who do the grants, people who wear other hats in nonprofits, actually look at your process and give you feedback because maybe you're doing some really silly things. <laughs> or, or, you know, if so, I, I always assume that it's just they need to have some sort of barrier to entry. You know, you don't want just you don't want to have 10 million yeah. grant applications coming in. So you want to have something to be able to say, like, it's got to be kind of hard for you to do this because I don't want to have to filter through a thousand of them. So if you're going to do that and you're going to ask just random questions, just why not just make it a, a math test or something? Just put just put 25 you know, four digit multiplication questions on there 
and say, show your work, right? And then you can score it that way. And that will, that'll allow you to sort of arbitrarily winnow the pool to just a smaller number that you can look at more in more depth. Exactly. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with my fantastic co host, Stacy Wedding. We're here to answer all kinds of nonprofit questions you might have. Uh, today, we've got three good ones. One includes um, reading something from the IRS, which is everyone's favorite thing to do. We're going to talk about publication 529 just as a preview. So I caught this in editing. I keep saying 529 in this episode, and I really mean 598. So just pretend I said 598 and not 529. I know that made you just like want to tune in for sure. So thanks for listening. The way this works is you send us questions and Stacy and I do our best to answer the questions. If it's something that we don't know, or it's something that we think we need help with, we will get a guest expert. So go ahead and keep sending those questions in and do your best to send us um, things that might need guest experts. We love getting guest experts on. Uh, so we want to do more of that if we can. And if you have a guest expert you want us to track down, um, let us know who it is and heck, we'll make up a question and chase them down. And with that, we'll jump right in. I've recently moved to Las Vegas and I'm hoping to find a position as an executive director. It's been years since I last interviewed, and I'm wondering if there are any red flags you think I should watch out for during the interview process. Well, I I want to ask you a lot of questions, but I can't because you're not here, and I just have this question I'm reading off of. I am curious to know your background and the draw to being an executive director. Did you do that in prior communities, and that's what you're looking to do here, or is this sort of that that thing like, hey, yeah, I want to I want to do work in the nonprofit sector and I want to lead it. So I think that's kind of interesting and, and something for you to think about too um, as you go through this process. But um, to answer your question, I think from a standpoint of red flags, those of us know that if you're sitting in a process like a search process or you're with that interview committee and all they talk about, you're the, you're, you're, they're, uh, looking for an executive director or CEO, and all they're talking about is fundraising. I mean, I, that would be, it's not that it raises a red flag, but it it leads me to think I would ask a lot of questions back, right? Like, where is this? So obviously, this is a solely a position solely tied to fundraising. Is there other staff to support that? How is there a dire need? Um, like, are you looking for me to raise my own salary in three months? Like, is that what you're telling me between the lines? Um, what is the fundraising plan? Like, or do you have a plan? I just, I think that sometimes you can see if an organization is really hungry for a particular set of skills or expertise, particularly executive directors, because there's all sorts of different types of executive directors and skill sets that they're looking for. So so if they really concentrate on fundraising, I think you've got to ask some questions back just to make sure that 
you're comfortable with what those answers are and that it's not that position, not that situation I talked about where someone's looking for you to raise your salary in a matter of a few months or the board's like, we're hands off. We want nothing to do with fundraising. We have no staff that do fundraising. So we just need one person who's fundraising. Okay, well, there's a lot of other components to being an executive director as well. So so I do think that for me would be one thing that would kind of be maybe a yellow flag. I don't know if it'd be a red flag. Um, I think depending on who's on that committee and the types of questions tell me a lot. So if people are way too, if it's board members, if it's a board-based committee and they are all like in the weeds, like these really weedy questions where I'm like, holy crap, this board is so in the weeds, like they're going to drive me nuts. I think that's a red flag. Um, I also think you can kind of feel in a room. I mean, those are weird because they're artificial environments anyway, whether you're doing it virtually or in person, it it's always a little bit of a weird dynamic. But I think you can some you can sense the energy or the synergy in the room around those at the table. I have seen people, I've been a part of being on that, like the interviewing side of these committees. And there's times where I go, wow, it's it's fun. Like you can tell the culture is good, people are laughing, like they're joking with each other. You can just feel that. And then there's times where it's not there. And that is tough, right? Because you kind of already know maybe there's something else going on in the organization. And, and maybe that's okay for you. And maybe you're like, I'm a great at building culture. I'm great at building teams. So, okay, cool. But just like, I think those are things that that you can really pick up on if you pay attention to it. And uh, the the job description as well, as much as people sort of gloss over job descriptions, I have seen some doozies where when you look at some of what's put in there, you you know that there was maybe a problem like before that raises that question. So I, I think one example that sticks out for me is there was something that was like, we want someone who knows how to handle conflict potentially between like infighting between board members or like, like, or like it was something that blatant. Like, I mean, it's, I'm taking that to an extreme, but it was something that pretty much blatant where you go, wow, what's this all about? Or we want someone who knows how to communicate well, like, I I don't know, like, and and communication skills are important, but like, if it's not, if it's written in a particular way, it really can raise some questions that you need to ask during this process. So (laughs) I think that's hilarious. (laughs) Like the the job description says, you know, need experience. We're looking for someone with experience warding off vampires. (laughs) Like (laughs) what's happening here? (laughs) That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. (laughs) You could tell, right? Like if an organization's gone through like a tough transition or like bat- has battle wounds, you can sometimes really see it in the yeah. in the job description. So and yeah, and it's it's like the number of times that I've been on the other side where we're trying to hire somebody and and they the you get it's you have to remind yourself as someone who's hiring that that just the the thing, the problem that you had as an organization most recently isn't the most important problem. So like if you had you know, if you had HR issues and that was one of the reasons you got rid of the current ED is because they're just these weird HR issues. And so you start being really sort of laser focused on HR kinds of activities, even though the ED role is really everything. It needs to be somebody that can do all of those things. And you want to make sure that you're not only looking for someone that's really strong in finance or really strong in fundraising or really strong in organizational development stuff. Right. It's got to be somebody that's really strong in all of them. So, yeah, I can see that certainly gives you insight into like what kinds of things are going on in the organization. I think with nonprofits, too, 
like this very different from for-profits is that you have a lot more visibility into the way the organization is run. And you have lots of opportunities to interact with, with the, especially for like a human services organization. Um, do they have clients that they work with? How well do they, you know, you can talk to clients of the organization to see like, and they're going to give you a completely unfiltered view of what the organization is like. Like, oh my God, they're terrible. We hate them. They, we ask them for all this stuff and they're just too busy doing gala events to even pay attention to us. Right. Or, or whatever it is. Um, you can talk to former board members. That's all available. You can find all that information. So when did you, you know, how long ago did you leave the board? And those people are willing to tell you, yeah, I think it was a pretty good organization. We had trouble, you know, raising money and there's always a cash crunch, right? They're going to give you all kinds of information. Um, all of the public stuff that you can get, you can ask for 990s. Uh, it's if you're going for the ED job, it is perfectly reasonable to ask for a copy of the audited financial statements along with the management letter. That's going to show that you, number one, know what to look for. And and the management letter is going to definitely tell you if there are any like major organizational problems because the auditors are going to list those on the management letter. Um, if it's an organization that has volunteerism, go volunteer for them. You know, take a you know, they don't have to know that you're applying for the ED position. Um, and you can get some really unfiltered views by being in the building and listening to other volunteers work for the organization. Um, so I think, you know, doing as, as doing as much homework as you can on the organization ahead of time is going to tell you what the red flags are. But as a good candidate, you should probably be doing all that stuff already. You shouldn't just take, you know, look like back in the day when we would look in the newspaper to see what jobs were available. It doesn't <laughs> oh, work like that anymore. Right. Oh, but, man. Yeah. <laughs> but now that's it's. <laughs> you're making dating. me feel old you're making me feel old so i don't know that was like when i was in elementary school or something but but <laughs> yeah. the um like having it, you shouldn't just be blindly looking for ed positions that's not something and nobody's i mean nobody should be hiring someone with no skills in that particular area of nonprofit work and just picking somebody who just happens to be old Right. That's not that's not who they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who has specific skills in that particular um, cultural institutions or human service organizations or hospitals or whatever the flavor of nonprofits are anyway. So a long way of saying that that I think as as a good candidate, you should know where to look for the red flags already. Ding, ding, ding. Our accountant is saying our merchandise sales are unrelated business income. However, they are designed to reinforce the message of our programming and only sold through a few of our mission-related events each year. How does one determine what's related and unrelated? Oh, you're trying to trick me with this question. I can see it. So... <laughs> Well, because because the way stump been, Andy stump Andy that's yeah, what it's, it's all absolutely about. Yeah. stump Andy on this one because the way it's been phrased it's like you know more about this than you're letting on right so okay so this is the the true answer the true answer is the IRS has created something called publication five nine eight um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that if you need something to help you sleep that's available for you. <laughs> But it is seriously, I think like 85 pages of answers to this. It's a yeah. snoozer. It's actually right? not bad. It's interesting from oh, the, the it, yeah, for a, you, maybe. A, no, come on. It's interesting for everybody because there's this really long section of like, well, what if you do this? Right. And then it's like, here's the scenario. And this is what we this is the decision we would make. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a brain teaser. Um, but it does talk a lot about unrelated business income. So. 
So I will say publication 598 is where your answer is because it tells you in very excruciating detail how you figure out whether or not something's unrelated business income. Um, the, the, the sort of like the fast version of how you decide. And again, that's why this is a trap question. I think like the fast version says like, what's the purpose of it? Like, does it reinforce your program? <laughs> like, you know, the, the word reinforce tells me it's a trap, right? Does it reinforce your program? And then is it regularly conducted is the other one. So like, if you have, um, if you just sell t-shirts once a year at a craft fair, right? That's not unrelated business income because you only do it like once. But the word regularly has different meanings to different people. Like regularly means like, what if it's a farmer's market every two weeks? Like, is that regularly? What if it's once a quarter at the whatever we do once a quarter? Is that regularly? How often does it need to be happening to be regular? And regular is more about frequency than it is about like, like whether or not you like how far apart those frequencies are, but the IRS does leave it open. Um, and also like there's rules about how much money it is, like how much you're making and, and you can determine whether or not it's unrelated business income or not based on what, how much is, how much you're making. Um, so that's why this, this question is a totally trap question, right? Oh, <laughs> <was> like, Andy. <laughs> well, th sold through a few of our mission related events each year, like a few, like how often are they happening? Like, so so, it, you know, I think this one is probably a borderline case anyway. And your auditor, your accountant is is leaning on the side of unrelated business income. You are clearly not leaning on the side of unrelated business income. I think going through slowly and having the your account, your bookkeeper accountant or whatever, explain to you why they think it's unrelated business income and specifically how they're coming to that determination would be a useful, a useful thing for you to do so that you're both on the same page. So. That's I want to jump in. I'm no, going to jump ahead. in and I'm going to share two sort of real life examples and it, that meet one of those tests, right? There's that three-part test the IRS has. And there's, in addition to the publication, Andy will put a link where it literally just gives you, it's a much con more uh, condensed version of, you know, if it's a trader business, if it's regularly carried on, if it's not substantially related to your mission, those are those, that three-part test. And it gives you like a one or two line descriptor. So if you're looking for just kind of something quick and not the, but I think you're going to need to dive into that, that longer publication Andy mentions, but I did want to just at least note that. I think that for other listeners um, who also may not who who have run into this and wonder what what is substantially related to their mission. So I wanted to share two examples that I've with clients I've worked with that have had two very different outcomes. So one of those was an uh, an organization that uh, provides employment to people with disabilities, right? And so that's kind of the sole mission. And it so as part of their mission, they actually have the individuals with disabilities go out and, you know, get paid to go do artwork, yard work, whatever it is. So, um, you know, to go out and they're, they're, they're getting money from that, that sort of, uh, from that action, from that activity. And in a case like that, right, it's directly related to the mission of that income coming in from that, from that sort of service being provided is directly related to their mission. So in that case, it was declared, well, then they are not subject to UBIT unrelated business income tax. Now on a flip side, I've seen an organization where um, they, they provide like the mission in essence is basically we provide 
educational support and materials to low-income kids, right? And they became popular. And so they decided, oh, we're going to start selling t-shirts because everyone knows about us. Everyone loves us. We're like all the all the people in, you know, the, the district and other, you know, our school district and others love us. So we're going to, we're going to sell t-shirts and other apparel hats and all that kind of stuff with our logo. But in that case, as you can see, right, like selling that clothing is not, that's not related to their mission of providing, you know, materials and support to low-income kids. And so that would be considered the unrelated business income. So like you can see, but those are very, they're, they're two different situations. And everyone in nonprofit likes to think because everyone makes the argument, oh, but we're promoting ourselves, And so promotion is part of like more people know about us, but it's not core. It's not that core mission activity. So that those are just two, that, that's an example that comes up a lot is people who sell the apparel and expect to expect that there's no tax on that. So whenever you like go into a board meeting and someone's all excited about let's create t-shirts and sell them, uh, remind them of this. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hard. So, so as a counter example of one that's less clear cut, so say your organization is about getting people to go vote. And so on your website, you can buy a t-shirt that specifically says, I want you to go vote. Right. That's yep. the mission of the organization. That's the exact slogan that's on the t-shirt. You're selling that t-shirt on the internet, which means it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's regularly conducted. Is that you bit? Yeah. Right. I mean, these are complex. It, yeah. Right. And, and, and that's, that one is, I would, I would say that one is probably a gray area. I would suggest that that one is not unrelated business income because it is specifically telling people something directly related. I agree. Which is get right. So, so this is why these gets really, these get really, really hard and you need to like really read 598 really, really carefully and make sure that you're getting it right. The other thing that I want to say, which is not, wasn't part of the question. Um, but, but I think it's lost in this conversation about whether or not it's unrelated business income and needs to be taxed or not. It's like, that's actually okay. Like there's nothing wrong with doing something that raises money for your organization that you may have to pay tax on. Yeah. Like that's not a big deal. And in fact, you can, if you think of those things and they're successful and you have to pay a bunch of tax, right. that's still money that you're getting right. that you wouldn't have gotten had you not done that activity. So, so whether or not you pay tax on it, I mean, yeah, it's a drag, especially if you have to like, and then you get caught in the whole sales tax loop and that thing takes forever. I mean, it's a lot of work. So you have to consider like, is the time we're spending on this worth the money that we're making on it? But paying sales tax or paying paying tax on or having to pay income tax on an activity because it's not substantially related to your mission or it's regularly conducted or whatever the other ones are that, that make you have to pay tax on it shouldn't automatically disqualify that as a revenue generator for you. So, so maybe take a step back and like, maybe don't just sell those, those t-shirts at the events that you're doing. Maybe make them all available on the websites. So you can sell a bunch more of them. And then you've got another revenue stream that's not dependent on fundraising, which is always a good thing. I think, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying because I do think that it's, it's part of it, it but it, it goes back to the analysis. It's part of the cost of doing business, but it's part of the analysis. And what I think is a lot of organizations don't even realize there is this thing called UBIT. And so, and then the boards are shocked when they hear about this. So I just think it's about, let's be transparent up front. We have to explore whether this is subject to unrelated business income tax. Maybe that's not a big deal for us and we're okay, but we just need to be aware of it, like on the front end. And also I just, I think everyone gets, I, I'm a little jaded on this. I see so many people create these sort of sidelines of business 
but never put like, great, we're going to create t-shirts and put them on our website. And (laughs) no one cares. And like, unless you have a ton of traffic going to your website and everyone's got to have your t-shirt, you're probably not going to make that much money from it. So I just think it's about being really realistic about what energy and resource you're going to put into this. And it's like another thing to add to your plate. So I'm just all about figure it out. Like, is this worth it? Is this where you want to put your time and energy? And if you're having traction, then great, maybe it is. But but take a look at it and don't just jump into these things where you you kind of jump in blindly and don't realize what's going on. Because you're also it, you're also at risk. Um, I mean, you have to make sure that that you're doing that you're paying the U-bit and doing the U-bit. And I think that sometimes I find organizations when even after they've read that publication Andy mentions and they still are not clear, they still sometimes err on the side of caution because they don't want to face fines. They don't want to potentially lose a tax-exempt status because uh, whatever, maybe too much of their activity is going to unrelated business activity. So so with that said, I just think... um, you know, you don't want to have to face those fines and stuff. So some organizations even say, all right, we've done all our due diligence. It's kind of a crapshoot. We've got a big question mark on this. We're going to err on the side of caution. Um, the other thing I've seen, and I just want to share this one other thing, I've seen organizations that it's a it's a local organization tied into a national organization. So whether it's an affiliate or it's a standalone organization, there's sort of a, a national organization. And I've seen in those situations there's a lot of guidance they can get about how other chapters or other affiliates are doing this around the country, what expertise they've had. So it's also good if you belong or you're a part of something like that, you can check in with your network or perhaps the national office had has already done the due diligence on it. So if you do happen to be a part of a model like that, um, you know, tap into those resources you've got. thanks for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Everything. Stacey and I really appreciate that you've taken the time out of your busy day to spend a half an hour with us talking about nonprofit stuff, edge cases, executive directors, boards, development, fundraising, finance, cash flow, all the fun things that we always get to talk about. Publication 529, one of my favorites. See, I did it again. 598, not 529. <laughs> it's good. It's light reading. Uh, so send us more questions. You know, if you've got a guest expert you want us to harass, let us know. We'll, we'll harass anybody. Um, and with that, um, thanks again for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks.